Hello, you're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of Let the Bible Speak. Uh, just remind you again that the purpose of this program is to simply present the Bible working through various portions of God's Word that we believe will be beneficial and relevant to all of God's people. It's also the case that it is our desire that those who perhaps do not know the Lord would come to know Christ as the Word of God comes to their ears. That not only would they hear uh, with their ears, but they would hear with the hearing of the heart, hearing unto faith in Christ and hearing unto eternal life. So we thank you for listening and wherever you're listening today, I trust that God's word will come uh, as a renewed blessing to your, your heart. We are in a series of studies in the fifth chapter of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 5. We came to this portion of scripture from a recent study of the book of Revelation. And of course, in Revelation, we see the the fact that Christ is indeed coming back. And as God's people, we are to live in anticipation of the Lord's return. And first, Thessalonians 5 presents to us a description of the waiting church. What does it look like for God's people to be waiting for Christ's return? We see that description in this final chapter of this first letter to the Thessalonians. We see an image, a picture of what God expects his church to be like. We see it in terms of descriptions and also in several exhortations. One of those exhortations is in the verse number 6, where it says, Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. That idea of soberness is then picked up again in the verse number 8, where it says, But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. That is that text that we're going to consider uh, for some time today. Before we do so, let's just ask God to help us as we consider his word Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the scriptures that are sufficient to guide our minds and to direct our lives, that if we are to live according to your will and for your glory, it will be as we live in the word of God. So help us to study it today, guide and direct our minds, we pray, and apply the word effectually to our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Whenever the church today would use conflict language, it must do so with clarity and with great care. The church militant, that term has often been used, speaks of the church at war. Christ speaks of his church being built. He will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That image is of the church advancing aggressively against the gates of hell and that Satan and hell itself cannot withstand the forces of the army of God's people. 
And so clearly there is conflict language used in the scriptures. Yet our conflict as a church is not in the manner of the ancient crusades where there was an attempt to advance the kingdom of God by force and by the sword. And so as we use the language of conflict today, we've got to be careful regarding these things. It's also worth understanding that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are spiritual. There is a spiritual warfare to be fought, and it is fought with the weapons of prayer and the word of God. But as the church is militant, so we also understand that the individual is to be engaged in combat with his enemies. But again, that language of conflict is figurative, it is metaphorical, yet it is a real conflict. The enemies are spiritual, but yet the spiritual forces work in and through the ungodly in the world. And so we find ourselves battling a spiritual battle, but at times that spiritual battle comes in the form of actual people with whom we mingle and with whom we engage. And so the combat is personal and yet also ecclesiastical. It is spiritual against demonic, but against demonic spiritual forces that at times make use of real people and real institutions. And so whenever we discuss spiritual warfare, we've got to do so with great care and discernment. It's important for the people of God to know their enemy and to know their weapons. Now here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we are looking at the spiritual warfare of the individual. Not so much the church corporately as the individual believer. The exhortation is that as the children of God are children of light, therefore they are not to sleep, they are not to be drunken, but they are to be those who are engaging in spiritual warfare. Paul uses the imagery of armour. Of course, imagery that would have been very familiar in the Roman world. The imagery uses here the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Of course, Paul uses this language also, uh, perhaps more famously, in Ephesians chapter 6. For there he gives a description of the full armour of God. And yet there are variations between the uses of the armour in Ephesians and as we find it here in First Thessalonians. In Ephesians, the breastplate is the breastplate of righteousness, whereas here in Thessalonians, it is the breastplate of faith and love. Now, there is more similarity when it comes to the helmet in Ephesians. It is salvation, and here it is the hope of salvation. Of course, also faith is mentioned here, the breastplate of faith and love, whereas faith in Ephesians is seen as a shield. Now, I suspect that the differences are explained in that in Ephesians, Paul is highlighting the nature of the armour. He's pointing out that we protect ourselves in spiritual warfare by putting on objective truth. Christ is our righteousness. The faith that is the shield is not our faith, but it is the faith of the gospel. Salvation is seen as in the blessings of being saved, whereas here in Thessalonians it seems to be the focus of attention that we put on the armour by these spiritual graces. So we put on the breastplate of righteousness by faith and love. 
and the helmet is put on as we hope in our salvation. And so I think in Thessalonians, Paul is highlighting the spiritual graces whereby we put on the armour. And in Ephesians, he's highlighting the armour itself being Christ and the gospel. But whatever the case may be, and again, there are various thoughts in these areas, what we must understand is that waiting for Christ's return involves warfare. The Lord goes to prepare a place for us. He has assured us of that fact. But as he prepares a place for us, we wait and we do not wait in a state of peace and tranquility or pilgrimage or waiting involves walking in a battlefield. We find ourselves in a place of war and the enemies come and seek to overthrow our souls. Now, before we go further, I am thankful that the enemies of the child of God cannot prevail. They will not prevail because Christ keeps his people secure in his almighty power. But there is still a warfare and a war to be fought. And so we see initially in this waiting church involved in warfare, we see initially the implied assaults. You see, the armor described here reminds us that the devil seeks to attack our hearts and our head. And the breastplate, of course, covering the heart and the helmet covering the head, indicating again the devil's attacks are focused upon our heads and our hearts. If I could put it this way, the devil seeks to bring deception and doubt. Now, of course, there's overlap here. The devil sows doubt in our minds by deception, and he uses doubts in his deceptive ways. He plays upon our doubts, and so we should not see these things as being strictly separate. They are clearly overlapping concepts. But it is helpful to think of the devil's actions and work, his assaults against us, under these two separate concepts, the idea of deception and, of course, the idea of doubt. And it takes us back to the garden. It takes us back to the deceiver in the garden as he comes to Eve and says to Eve, Hath God said, sowing the seeds of doubt and at the same time sowing the seeds of deception, implying that what God had said was not true and was not to be relied upon. Oh, how we need to wage war against the devil in our days. Deception continues. Even back in the time of the apostles, as John would write his second letter, Second John in verse number 7, he says, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. And so there were those who were laboring in the times of the apostles, and they were seeking to deceive the church. They were seeking to deny the gospel. And the attack at that time was on the true incarnation of Christ Jesus. You know, as we approach the Christmas season again this year, it's worth reminding ourselves that we have a most precious doctrine to defend. And that doctrine is that Christ Jesus came into the world from heaven and he came in true humanity. He came in flesh that he might save those who had fallen into sin in their first father, Adam. Christ came as a man to save mankind. But there were those 
in John's day and they were deceiving the people. They were denying the gospel and suggesting that Jesus Christ only appeared to be a man, wasn't a true man. That false doctrine was not of God. Over in the first letter that John wrote, he exhorts the beloved to try the spirits. That's First John chapter 4. Because he understands that every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. This is that spirit of Antichrist that has already come into the world. And so what he's saying here is that the deception against the false gospel does not originate with God, obviously, but it comes ultimately from Satan. In fact, in the previous chapter, 1 John chapter 3, he makes that clear when he says, He that committeth sin is of the devil, and the devil is the one who brings deception and lies. And so when Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and they are wrestling with deception and false apostles, he makes the point that they are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. There were those who were uh, taking on apostolic authority. In the church, there was deception from people who were suggesting that they had the same power and the same authority as the apostles of Christ. But as Paul explains this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says this is something that we should not marvel at. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose ends shall be according to their works. And so Paul is reminding us and teaching us indeed that we should understand that Satan will sow the seeds of deception using those who appear to be genuine ministers of the gospel. There was an appearance of truth, but as they sought to present truth at the same time, there were the sowing of the seeds of error and deception in their teaching. And we've seen this in our own day. There are those again who, for all intents and purposes, seem to suggest that salvation is by Christ and by Christ alone. And yet at the same time, they would suggest some form of universal salvation, as they would say that the Heathen that do not hear the word of God, they are saved by the light that they have. That though they may never know of Christ or trust in Christ, they are saved in the mercy of God. That, that is clearly against the gospel. If the gospel teaches that we're saved only by Christ, then there can be no form of universal salvation tolerated. And so if Satan seeks to attack our minds, it is surely absolutely vital that we take great care who we listen to, who we watch, and indeed who we read. Again, we live in a time when there is such a, an availability of Bible teaching, from podcasts to blogs to television programs, of course, to even to radio programs like this. There is a great availability of the hearing of messages purporting to be from the Word of God. But we must take great care. We must examine these things against the authority of the word of God, remembering that the devil delights in these subtle attacks against the gospel. In fact, in the letter that we're studying in Thessalonians, the believers are told to prove all things. In the context of the prophecies that were coming, they were to prove, they were to test these things and only hold fast that which is good. So, dear listener, 
even as you listen today to a radio program, can I encourage you? Please take great care who you choose to listen to. Do not presume that because the Bible is mentioned, that therefore the Bible is mentioned in truth. Many of the cults of this world, they say that they are Christians, they take the name Christian, but yet they are deniers of the gospel of Christ Jesus. So please be careful. Take care who we listen to and take care how we listen, examine everything we hear against the word of God. For Satan attacks the believer in the use of deception. But he also delights in doubt. He is referred to, of course, as the accuser of the brethren. Revelation chapter 12 and the verse number 10. Satan would seek to attack the believer's confidence in God. We're showing a picture in Zechariah chapter 3 of Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of God. And Satan is standing at his right hand to resist him. Satan's delight is to cast doubt upon the genuineness of the believer and to sow doubts in the believer's mind as to God, his truth and his faithfulness in our salvation. You think of all the doubts that come upon us. If we are being honest, there are times when we wonder, is God's word really true? That's a doubt that comes even upon the heart and the mind of the true believer. There are other times when we wonder, are God's commands best? Is this the best way for people to live in this world according to God's commands? We may find ourselves doubting, is God's will, is it good and is it kind? Can we really trust God's providential care of our lives? We may even find ourselves at times wondering, is Christ's work really sufficient? Is it enough that he lived and died for sinners? Is that enough to bring us into a relationship of being at peace with God? And you think of all the battles that have been faced in the church, those battles that have been faced in each of these areas. The liberalism at the end of the 19th century into the 20th century, denying the miracles, denying the doctrines of the virgin birth of Christ, denying the glories of Christ's physical resurrection. Denying these things, casting aspersions upon the truthfulness of God's word. The devil deceiving and in deception sowing doubts so that people wondered, is the word of God really true? You think of the attacks upon the commands of God. There was a previous generation that never questioned the fact that God had a Sabbath day for man. Six days shalt thou labor, but the Sabbath day, a Sabbath rest set apart, set apart for man's good and for God's glory. But we're living in a generation now when people wonder, is that really right? Surely it's better for me to be free to do as I please on that seventh day. Surely the Lord's day is a day for, for my physical rest. It's not a day to worship God. And so it's become a, a denial against the Sabbath day and the idea of doubts being so against is God's will really best? You think of all the attacks upon marriage. Is it really best for mankind to live one man, one woman forever in this covenantal, monogamous relationship? Is that really the best? Well, of course, uh, we know from the Bible that it is. But yet the devil has brought these things into the world and cast doubts upon the reliability of God. These are the attacks that we face. We wonder in times of hard providence, uh, as challenges come upon us, they may, they may be financial, even in these days of financial difficulty. They, they may be relational difficulties or emotional difficulties. 
providential things come upon us. Illness comes upon us, even upon our physical frame, and we wonder, is God's will really good and kind? Is God a good and a kind God? The devil delights to use these things. You think of how he attacked Job. Doth Job serve you for naught? That was the attack of the devil towards Job. And even his own wife would say, curse God and die. When providential things become difficult, when you lose family and you lose your health, surely God is not to be trusted. That's the attack of the devil. And yet we find ourselves facing these attacks each uh, and every day almost. We think about the attacks on the gospel. How the devil has delighted to advance false gospels. Teaching that man can be saved by their works and by their charity. Teaching that man need to have these church sacraments whereby they can know peace with God. All of these things bringing doubts upon the truthfulness of the sufficiency of Christ's work. The devil bringing doubts whereby the child of God wonders, is what Christ has done, is it really enough? And so this armour language, it reminds us of the spiritual battle that we face. The devil is seeking to attack our hearts and our heads. And our only hope, the required action that responds to this implied assault, is that we must put on the armour of God. That is the words that are used again in Ephesians chapter 6 and are used here also in 1 Thessalonians. But let us, here off the day, be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet the hope of salvation. We'll come back next time and consider what it is to live in this regard, how we are to put on this armour each and every day. But it begins by reminding us that the armour is Christ Jesus. Thankfully, the armour is not our faith or our hope or our love. We would know that we would be very vulnerable to the devil's attacks if we were depending for our security upon our own spiritual graces. Even those things that are given to us by God, we are we are prone to, to sin in these areas and we are not what we ought to be. And so our great confidence is that Christ is our armour. But Christ as our armour is, is put on as we trust Christ and love Christ and hope in Christ. It is by faith and love and hope that Christ is applied to our souls. So we put on the armour as we consider Christ in the word. And then we seek to apply the doctrines of Christ personally to our souls. And the language used here, putting on the armour, is in a very particular grammatical form. It has the idea of putting it on once, but yet with ongoing implications. In other words, we continue to benefit from the putting on of the armour and we seek to continue with that armour upon us each and every day. You take the issue of faith and love as a breastplate. Well, Paul in Ephesians describes the armour as the breastplate of righteousness. And of course, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. We know that our hearts are secure because Christ is our righteousness. Therefore, we have no need to doubt, though the devil would cause us to doubt. But how is a man justified? Not by his own righteousness, but by that of another. Christ's righteousness. And how do we receive that righteousness? By faith. The just shall live by faith. And what comes with faith? 
Well, love comes with faith, whom having not seen ye love, in whom now, though now ye see him not yet believing, First Peter chapter 1, verse number 8. So therefore the breastplate of righteousness is put on by faith in Christ and love for Christ. And as we put on Christ, we apply the truth of Christ to our souls, and we find ourselves protected from the devil's assault. The devil would seek to cause us to doubt our salvation, to doubt our security. But we have a breastplate on of righteousness. Christ is our righteousness. And so we, we put that on and we remind ourselves that though the devil would attack us and cause us to doubt, we know that we are safe because Christ is our righteousness. And so we have here a security. We have the fact that we are secure in Christ Jesus. And so though the warfare is intense and, and real, yet we, we are so thankful that the Lord has provided for us a righteousness, and that we need not doubt, that we need not despair. But we also understand that we find, we find in Christ and in Christ alone our security. The same, of course, is also true regarding the helmet. The helmet speaks of our salvation, once more, we'll say more of that next time. The helmet is our salvation, the hope that we will not suffer the wrath of God, for it says, God hath not appointed us to wrath. And so the devil would doubt that one day we will finally be lost. We have upon our head the helmet of salvation, the hope of salvation, our confidence, our sure expectation that Christ will not lose our souls but that we will indeed in that final day be safe because of our union with Christ, because he has lived for us and died for us, and his work is sufficient to bring us to God. And so we have a spiritual enemy. Individually, we find ourselves, as we wait for Christ, we find ourselves in the conflict against the devil. But God has provided for us the armour, the armour of God that would protect us from every device of the evil one. And so perhaps today uh, you find yourself under spiritual attack. Get out your Bible, find Christ in the Word, and apply the gospel truths to your soul. Love Christ, believe in Christ, hope in Christ, and enjoy the peace that comes even in the midst of our spiritual warfare. May God be pleased to encourage your hearts and bless the Word of God to each of your souls today. Thank you for taking the time to listen and please do get in touch and let me know if the word has been a benefit to your heart. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.